Steve, this is a special day for you, and I want you to take it that we love you so much, and if we didn't, we wouldn't do this for you. It's another, uh, there's another reason it's a special day for you, and that is because you get to sit with Connie and hear good preaching. I, I didn't mean it that way, folks. No, no, no. I didn't mean, it didn't mean anything by it. It's just that Steve gets to sit with the woman he has called the prettiest woman in the building. And I know he's happy to do that. We are pleased to have David Horner come and teach us this morning. David and Steve have known each other. And I know Steve will be blessed by what David has to say. David serves as the executive director for Equipped for Life, a ministry established to equip men and women to grow in Christ and learn to excel in their ministry callings. Upon the beginning of 2016, he pastored, or until the beginning of 2016, he pastored Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh uh, since it began in 1978. David is a native of Graham. He received his Bachelor of Arts from Wake Forest. David Horner, blue, gold, and black. He holds a Master of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and is currently a Ph.D. candidate at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he also lectures regularly in classes on pastoral ministry and biblical leadership. David has authored four books including Firmly Rooted, Faithfully Growing in 2003, which is equipped, uh, rather devoted to equipping churches for uh, principle-based ministry, Dad's Words of Wisdom in 2004, a weekly devotional for fathers and sons, and a practical guide for life and ministry in 2008, which offers help for people in ministry who are trying to maintain a biblical balance in their lives. Most recently, David wrote, When Missions Shapes the Mission, in 2011, which helps churches refocus to make missions a priority and gives them practical tools to make that transition. David has served as a trustee at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and currently serves as a trustee at Lifeway Christian Resources in Nashville, Tennessee. Since 2005, he has served as a council member of the Gospel Coalition. David speaks overseas on various missions, contexts, equipping pastors and Christian leaders in active biblical leadership and pastoral ministry. He and his wife, Kathy, have been married since 1973. The Lord smiled on David Horner the day Kathy said, I do, in 1973. David will be the first one to tell you he outmarried himself. They have three grown sons, Jeff, Scott, and John. All are married. They have four grandsons and one granddaughter. I hope you get a chance to meet and greet Kathy Horner. When you do, you will agree that David married up. David, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Come teach us, please. Right there. You're too tall for me to hug unless you stand right there. <laughs> Any man that wears 
gold and black. I just got my heart. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. We're very, very blessed to be able to be a part of this morning's worship time all together. And um, looking out and seeing folks who uh, either did the wedding ceremony or did their mom and daddy's wedding ceremony. So uh, we've been around probably long enough to have married folks and then married their kids. Uh, it's a joy to be able to come and uh, tell you, Steve, it's worth hanging around for. It's fun to see what God does as he gets you in a place and then just keeps you there and lets you just enjoy it. Uh, he and I were in a class together in January. Um, I copied off his paper and um, so, <laughs> and I failed that day. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I, he, he must have known I was looking and wrote down wrong things and then turned in the right one. I don't know how that worked. But uh, if you will, I'd like to read from 1 Timothy this morning. Um, it's, it's a really scary thing to preach a sermon in the presence of someone who's doing a PhD in, in preaching. You know, so I'm like, so Steve, you know, be careful. Uh, so I'm hoping you'll hear a good sermon today from the Lord by his spirit. And so I invite you just to uh, listen to verses 11 to 12, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And it is a fifth anniversary type of sermon I'm preaching, but I do hope you don't get the idea that this is just aimed at him. Can we agree on that? It's not aimed just at him, mostly at him, but not entirely him, uh, because this is the testimony of those who are to be followers of Christ in every circumstance. Uh, it's a letter written to a young pastor of a church that's going to go through some really hard times, and by the time you get to the book of Revelation, the lampstand with the candle of the gospel is taken down in Ephesus. But Timothy is the pastor of this congregation, and, and he gets these words of exhortation and, and encouragement from his mentor, uh, the Apostle Paul. Verse 11, 1 Timothy 4, he says, Command or prescribe and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. See, I told you it was not just about him. Uh, but set the believers and as, as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch or pay careful attention to yourself and on the teaching. Persist and persevere in this, for by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Father, what an honor to be able to, week in and week out, handle the Word of God, the sacred text, with the understanding that we as the proclaimers of these truths are merely to be vessels. We're to be the, the pots the jars of clay who are delivering precious goods. We're the carriers of this amazing good news. And, and as we were singing this morning and as our hearts were engaged, we love you, Lord Jesus. And whatever we say, whatever we do is to direct all eyes to you. Your spirit does that. Your word does that. Everything focuses the attention on you. May there be nothing that is said or done by me this morning to distract from that. But, Father, may in every way our hearts really resonate with yours as you open us up to these things. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time together. In Christ's name, amen. 
Well, <clears throat> embarrassing things happen when you're not paying attention. We know that. This passage is saying in verse 16 that you're supposed to pay careful attention to these particular things. And, and if you watch YouTube at all, or if you've been aware of social media for a long time, some of you remember uh, sometime in the last couple of years, there was a, a security camera at a mall uh, watching as some lady is walking down the mall texting. And she was so engaged in what she was doing that eventually she tripped over, fell right into the fountain in the mall. It was hilarious. I mean, you know, for everybody but her, of course, you know, and so she's walking along and just boom, falls in there. Uh, and then they, somebody got the tape from the security office, put it on the internet. Uh, the lady, instead of just laughing at herself, sued the, the mall for embarrassing her like that. And I'm thinking, lady, they didn't embarrass you. You pretty much handled that all by yourself. Uh, you didn't do that. Or there's a commercial on television right now of a guy, you know, the Mr. Disaster guy who's sitting under the seat, bzz, 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 trying to get the guy to look around. And he finally does look around and finds out where his phone is, but he can't find it. But in the meantime, he rear ends the guy in front of him. What, what was he doing? Not paying attention. Nobody gets up in the morning and intends to be stupid. We, we don't intend to do that. But, but somehow or another, we've got this capacity of pulling that off. We, we can find a way to do it. Paul knows that that's the tendency that we have. He understands that there are some things about us that if we're not on target, if we're not on task, we can do some really foolish things. We can, we can stray off, of course. We can, we can drift away from sound doctrine. We can allow our lives to go in directions that we never would have thought that we would have allowed to happen in our lives. We know those things. And so here he says to this young pastor, Timothy, watch yourself, son. Pay close attention to yourself. And so what I want us to do this morning is, is address those things. Because Paul has been looking at the damage that's been done to churches everywhere. He's been a lot of places, he's planted a lot of churches, and he's saying this kind of thing happens all the time, and it will happen there in Ephesus. Back in Acts 20, he had gathered together the elders from the church in Ephesus down in Miletus as he was heading back to Jerusalem, and he called the guys together and says, listen, you guys need to understand something. From among yourselves, there are going to be some things that happen. It's as if savage wolves are coming out from among your own crew who are going to bring destruction and hard things to the church. I've never shrink back for one moment from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, and you guys are going to have to stay on task. And now he writes this letter to the pastor there saying the same thing. Timothy, brother, watch yourself. Pay close attention to what you're doing. And so this morning I want to commend you five years ago for having the good sense to choose somebody as your pastor who's paying attention. And he pays attention because he knows not only is that the right thing to do, but he knows that's the only profitable thing he can do for you. He can stand up and give inspiring monologues weekly to no avail. He knows that the only way to really feed you as his flock is to give you a steady diet of biblical truth, paying close attention to both his life and his doctrine. So I want us to walk through that and, and start off with just a reference back to first chapter of this book where he says, uh, as he's talking to Timothy, he says, I'm going to tell you something. I thank Christ Jesus. This is verse 12 of chapter one. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Steve, don't you feel that way? I mean, we get to do this. Uh, this is a privilege that you have afforded us and, and you get this guy opportunity to just say, thank you, Jesus, for Emmanuel. 
thank you, Jesus, that I get to do what I do, and I actually get the privilege of hanging out with people who are intent on the same thing. So what kind of matters are on the heart of this guy as he is exhorting Timothy? Well, he exhorts him, first of all, to have a heart that's devoted to these things, devoted to Christ and devoted to everything that God wants him to be devoted to, to make Christ his lifelong priority. And so he gives him this sense that you're going to have to have a heart of devotion to your Savior first, Timothy. Because if you don't love Jesus first and foremost, it doesn't matter what else you do. You're going to have to love Christ more than anything else. Some of you read the old daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. He says this about pastoral ministry and what, what Steve gets to do week after week. He says, this is arduous work to keep the master ambition in front. It means holding oneself to the highest ideal year in and year out. Not being, now listen to this carefully, not being ambitious to win souls or to establish churches or to have revivals, but being ambitious only to be accepted of him. My worth to God in public is what I am in private. Your pastor will never be of any good to you publicly in the winning of souls to Christ, in the establishing of churches, in doing those kinds of things that are, are necessary for revival to come. Those will never happen if his internal life, his devotion to Christ is not intact. So that's where he says here, you, you need to have a heart that's devoted to your Savior. You also have to be devoted to your family. One of the criteria for those in leadership and pastoral roles, elder roles, described in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1, he says, you gotta, you got to love your family, brother. You've got you to know that Connie is the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, you've got to understand that. And that the family that God gives you is where the priority is. So in, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3, he says, you've got to manage your own family. Well, see that your children obey you with proper respect. If anyone know, doesn't know how to manage his own family, how in the world can he take care of God's church? So you've got to live it out at home first. If, if pastors fail at home, they've already failed before they walk in the door of the church building and try to do anything with you, the flock. Devoted to Christ, devoted to your family, and devoted to your calling. Uh, when I was being ordained to the gospel ministry, the pastor scared me to death. He, he said, uh, listen, David, here's the thing. If you can do anything else, do it. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I'm not sure if that's a vote of affirmation or not, but uh, that's what he said. He said, no, I don't mean that you don't have the gifts. I'm just saying that if you can be comfortable and satisfied doing anything else. If you, if you can sell insurance and be satisfied with that, but sell insurance. If you can work at Walmart and greet people coming in every day with your blue vest on, do it. If you can be comfortable being the President of the United States, God bless you, we need somebody to do that. But, but what, what is it? He's saying if you can do anything else and be satisfied with that, then God hasn't put his calling on your life. If you know that you can't do anything else because of this burning fire in you, but be a called minister of the word of the gospel, if you can do anything else with that, go ahead and do it. But if you can't, you know you've got God's passion burning in your heart. That's why he's here. That's why Steve's here. He, he knows that he could probably make a good living doing something else. He could probably uh, be successful whatever endeavor he touches. He's a leader. He's proven that he can do that. But God won't let him do that because he's put his calling on him. He's devoted to that calling. And there will be days, weeks, months, Mondays, when he's going to doubt that calling. When he's going to say, man, it's got to be easier somewhere than here. That's when the people of God call pastors and say, amen. That's one of the standard things in pastoral ministry. You never resign on a Monday morning. 
You just, that's not, you just kind of got to let Sunday go sometimes. But that calling is going to keep you there. He says, you got to be devoted to that kind of calling. And so then he says, not only this devotion of heart, you need to have a disciplined heart. There's something that's going to keep you in the trenches. It's going to cause you to persevere. It's going to cause you to stay with the game plan, to keep a close watch on yourself, to persist in doing this. You've got to have some stick to about this. He said, because if you don't pay attention to what really matters here, if you're, if you're not texting while you're driving, if you're, if you're not going to do those kind of things that would distract you and keep you off course, there's a lot of stuff that would keep you from being a faithful minister of the gospel. There is enough stuff right now to keep your pastor busy every day of every week for the rest of his life, and he never would get around to the work of the ministry of the church. There's reports that the convention of the denomination wants to know. Would you fill these reports and send them out? Would you, would you go to these meetings? Would you take these seminars? Would you go to that? And then you as a congregation, hey, would you come pray at our club? Would you come uh, say blessings over our, you know, this? And, and can we have you come to this event? Or could you, do, you got stuff that people could keep you occupied till Jesus comes and never get around to the ministry. He says, no, you've you got to pay attention to what matters. You've got to stay devoted to the thing that matters more than anything else. That's to be a faithful servant of the flock of God. How is that going to look? Because if you don't do that, you're going to be susceptible to all kinds of spiritual problems. You're, you're going to have things that will happen that will just absolutely rob you of your joy. He says, we're supposed to be filled with joy, inexpressible, full of glory. A lot of times in ministry, you know that as a believer. The joy is not there. You're going through the motions. Some of you this morning came in and you sang some incredibly joyful songs, and you didn't, you didn't get it. It didn't hit you where you live. It's just like, I, I know these songs, but man, my heart's heavy. I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Well, these things, if you don't keep first things first, can happen. They strip you of your confidence. They'll inhibit your love. They will frustrate you in the way you try to pray. They will mislead you in the things you do with your conduct of your lives. These things can happen. So he says, here's here's a, a way for you to think through, Timothy, how to fix this. See, this is the way you can, can keep some balance in this and, and make it work well. Here's how you have to work on it. You, you have to have this healthy growth happening in your life. And you need to be committed to the holiness of God working its way in you. Because he called you to a life of growing into the image of Christ. One of the challenges that pastors have and, and leaders have, and then you as congregations have, is to take Colossians 1 very seriously. That you labor and strive together that you might present everyone complete in Christ. You're growing up to maturity in Christ. See, his ministry as a pastor here and as a teacher here is to equip you for the work of ministry. Now, is, is he the one who does the ministry here? Well, you better do some of it. But his job is not to do the ministry of this church. His job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry of this church. And so he has to understand, how is this healthy thing going to happen that I have a balanced growth in my life where I'm growing to maturity in Christ and I'm helping you grow to maturity in Christ? So Timothy says there's a couple of things you've got to do. First of all, watch out for your doctrine. Watch out for your life. And J.I. Packer, who wrote the book Knowing God, wrote a book called Rediscovering Holiness. He says there's a three-legged stool here, doctrine, life, but there's a third part. And that's the experience of these things. 
You can't have just a cognitive understanding of it. You've got to have more than that. And so he says, you, you need for this balance to take place to have doctrine, experience, and practical faith going on in your life at all times. And so that's the exhortation for, for holiness. Here's how it's going to happen. Your, your doctrine must be such that you are taking truth into your life that your mind and heart can really embrace and hold on to as sound and unchangeable, unshakable foundations in Christ. He's doing that. Experienced where there is the conscientious pursuit and the conscious enjoyment of fellowship with the Lord and with his son, Jesus Christ. The practical side of, of having specific habitual responses of obedience to whatever God shows you in that word so that you're, you're practicing it, you're experiencing it with the Father, and you're learning of these things in truth. Your heart and mind are being addressed over here. Your, your experience of, of, of the relationship with the Father and Son and then the practical outpouring of that in the way you just do life in faithfulness to Christ. So doctrinally, he says, Steve, I want you to believe what my son Jesus believed. That seems pretty simple, right? I'm a follower of Christ. Good. What's that mean? That means that doctrinally, I believe what Jesus believed. We're in a culture that doesn't believe what Jesus believes. We're in a culture that doesn't actually believe that the scriptures are true. Jesus did. We're in a culture of surrounded by churches that every Sunday morning will stand up and say stuff that is contrary to what Jesus believed. So, no. He says, no, doctrinally, you've got to pay attention to that, my son. You've got to stay on track with that. You've got to believe what Jesus believed. Relationally, you've got to love the way Jesus loved. Working into personal connections with him so that your connections with others. You've got to have a relationship with those preschoolers. One of my favorite things in ministry I'm going to miss is the knee-hugging regimen at the end of the services. I mean, I love it when, when I, you know, I, get, I get this, you know, tackled around the knees, and, and I look down, and those little four-year-olds got a hold of me. I'm thinking, if, if he can't do that, man, I have totally messed up. I need to have that experience. I need to be able to have that relationship with what church really is. And I've told people through the years, I know targeted ministry and focus on different areas of the community and all that's fine. But, I mean, church is babies and old ladies. I mean, it's got to be that or it ain't church. You know, so you've got to have the ability to relate at that level and, and love at that level and have relationships that really matter. And then you've got to practically love what Jesus loved, conducting yourself like he would have you conduct yourself. So that's the balanced part. And so that three-legged stool of, of practice and experience and doctrine will keep it in balance. But what happens when a church stops paying attention? What happens if, if Steve starts paying attention to things that are of lesser significance than these? What happens when we start thinking in terms of those three priorities handled piecemeal as if it were multiple choice. You should either be doctrinally sound or you should be experientially focused or you should be practically oriented as if it was some kind of, you know, you got to choose a major in college, you got to choose a major in church. I'm either going to be one of these things. And when that happens, there's a fracturing of your life and a fracturing of the people and a fracturing of the ministry. It, it begins to disintegrate all around you and there's a distortion of the calling of God in your life. How do you avoid that? He says, pay attention. Pay close attention because what happens if you become very sound doctrinally, but that's your focus. And you know, we, we're out of the seminary regularly, and, 
and we run into some folks who all they want to talk about is the next doctrine. I mean, you know, oh, talk about, oh, what do you believe about Calvinism? Or what do you believe about, uh, you know, this thing or that thing? Or how about, you know, what do you think about this? And, and that's all they want to talk about. And you kind of want every now and then say, you know what? Um, I, I got some thoughts on that, but why don't we talk about what Christ is doing in your life right now? Huh? I mean, all that stuff's in order to help us understand who Jesus is. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, but what about, are you infralapsarian or superlapsarian? I know what both those words mean, but I don't care. I mean, I do care that I understand them, and I do have a position on that, but what, what you know, what difference does it make? You, you know the kind of people I'm talking about. All they want to do is read the next doctrinal issue of, of Christianity today. They want, to, they want to pay attention so that they think in their minds, somehow or another, that the more information that I get, the more holy I become. Oh, I've got a balanced Christian life, man. I've really got this thing figured out. Oh, yeah, what's, what's that mean? I mean, I'm in three Bible studies right now. Three of them, yep, well, I've got one Monday night, and then I've got a Wednesday when I meet with people on the Sunday morning. Of course, I'm teaching a life class, and I've got a Bible study thing going on here, and I go to preaching every week, and I'm just, man, I'm just soaking in the Word. Bless your sweetheart. What are you, what are you doing with what information you're getting? What do you mean? I'm just getting holier by the minute. Well, yeah, yeah. Legend in your own mind, are you? And uh, this is exciting. I'm, I'm really proud of you. But here's what Packer says. He says, you know the sort of person I mean. One who is always reading, always exploring questions of truth, poking half the time into esoteric aspects of typology, unfulfilled prophecies, the millennium, the symbolic chapters of Revelation, and the problems of Bible harmony. He or she's not concerned much about experience. Not very active in obedience and service to others. And not really distinguished for a radically changed life. Kathy and I were at a wedding several years ago, and weddings can be awesome times. And the receptions are fantastic to get to mix it up with people, unless you get cornered by this guy. Have you ever met that guy at the wedding? And he came over, and he says, well, have you read that recent article I sent you, that email I sent you? And I'm kind of going like, how do I answer this honestly? without completely starting World War III here. No, I, I haven't read that. Well, then he began to explain his 40-page article that he, he sent to me on some eccentric part of the second coming of Christ that he thinks is more pivotal than the gospel. You know, and he's explaining it to me. And, well, you've, you've got to agree with that, don't you? And I said, well, you know, really, I hadn't read it, but what you're saying, I probably don't. I don't think I do. Uh, well, it's, it's more essential. How often do you, in your pulpit, do you preach about the second coming of Christ? And how much do you get? And I said, you know what? I, I, I preach about it periodically when it comes up in the text I'm preaching. But, you know, frankly, that's not, I, I'm not seeing that on the front page of the gospel presentation. You need Christ. Now, which millennial perspective do you have? He wouldn't let me go. I mean, he just kept drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling. And I'm thinking, J.I. Packer, where are you when I need you? Please come rescue me from this man. And finally, it was one of those conversations where I was saying, you know, here's, here's what's going to have to happen. And I don't want it to happen, but it's going to have to happen because you're forcing it to happen. I'm going to walk away, and you're going to still be standing here talking. I don't know how to help you, and I don't know how to fix this situation. But, but folks, I've, <clears throat> if you hang around 
folks who are just information-only people, people who are doctrine-only people, you've got to have doctrine. You've got to believe right. You've got to know the truth. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. You've got to be faithful to the scriptures. You've got to see the whole counsel of God that Paul talked about in the Malaysia. I've given you the whole thing. I haven't shrunk back from any piece of it. But that's not all I want to talk about, except those pieces that will help me understand more of what it is to know and love and live for Jesus. So you got the doctrine-only people. Don't be that guy. Tell, tell Steve, I don't want you to be that guy. I want you to be doctrinally sound. I want you to be accurate. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be true. I want you to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what chapter 2, verse 15 says. Devote yourself to that word so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. He is faithful in doing that. Praise God that you have a pastor who does that. But then, then there's the second group, the experience-only people. They love that part about Packer. Oh, it's experience, man. That's it. But their whole world is wrapped around the experiential side at the expense sometimes of the gospel. Oh, did you have the goosebumps when that was going on? You know, I, I did, but it was kind of goosebumps of a different kind than I think you're talking about. I had goosebumps because the doctrine was wacky. And I, I was wondering if lightning was going to strike. And you were thinking how wonderful the experience of it was. And I'm thinking how wrong the doctrine of it was. And we missed each other. There's some great songs in Christendom that are just totally heretical. <laughs> you know, you just, we won't name them this morning because you're your favorites. But I will, I will get there. But there are just some songs that arrive and they give you this warm, fuzzy feeling. And there are people in, in, in the body of Christ who are not interested in doctrine because they say, well, you know, doctrine divides. Well, yeah, it can because things that are true are categorically exclusive of things that are not true. So, yeah, there's going to be a division between sound doctrine and unsound doctrine, and that's as it should be. So, yes, it will divide. Well, we're not about division in our church. We're just all about love and unity and experiencing the sweetness of the bond of the love of God. As defined by whom? And what's that supposed to look like? They want a God of the miraculous so that they don't have to live out the practical realities of the faith today. God, you need to step in and do a miracle for my finances. And God says, you need to do something miraculous and live according to biblical principles financially. Let's try that. Yeah, but that's no fun. They don't want to get to see miracles. Well, you're probably not going to get to see a miracle in this case either. Well, I'm going to go to another church where they promise them. And they're like people out on a cold night where it's raining and they're camping. And then their campfire goes out. And there's nothing left but the ashes and Instead of getting up and tending their fire and making sure it's fine, they go in search of another campfire somewhere else. And then go look for another campfire and another campfire. And they spend their whole world trying to find experiences so that they can get the emotional high of their faith, but they don't care about the doctrinal soundness of their faith. Paul says, no, no, no. It's not an either-or thing. This is not multiple choice. We have the sound doctrine. Pay close attention to your doctrine, but also pay close attention to your life so that you can experience the fullness of these things. You don't want it just in your head. You want it in your life. You want to be able to sing a worship song. We were talking with Dan a while ago about, about a worship experience of music where, where people all of a sudden just found themselves on their feet worshiping the Lord God. And it didn't have anything to do with the music as much as what the message of the song was. And all of a sudden, people in the middle of a song, just for no apparent reason to the outside unbelieving world, just start on verse 3 clapping and standing up and saying, thank you, Jesus. What is that? That's experience of truth. And it moved from your head to your heart and it got a hold of something in there. 
We need to let that experience work in us. But man, don't let it be the thing that drives the train or else you've got this roller coaster existence. Up and down, up and down. How are you doing today? Well, I'm not sure if I can really say God's good to me today. Well, here's here's the good thing. God's good to you every day. God's good all the time. And your perception of his goodness is what's at issue here. You're trying to experience something that maybe is not consistent with the truth of who he is and what he's doing. You need to let the experience match the truth and then together go before the throne and say, thank you, Jesus, for a heart that can be emotionally connected with you and a mind that is satisfied with a rational understanding of biblical revelation and truth because they point me to Jesus. And I see the wonder of who he is. Well, what about the practical only people? You you don't want to be a doctrine only guy. You don't want to be an experience only guy. You know, you just want to be a practical person. I I ain't got time for all that doctrinal talk, and I surely don't have time for all that warm, buzzy stuff and fellowshipping and loving all each other. I just, there's stuff to be done for Jesus. When's the next trip down to the Gulf Coast? I need to go repair another house down there. I need to go get some cans for the food drive. I need to feed some more hungry people. I, I, I got to be doing, doing, doing. And everybody else is not doing that. They're just hypocrites. They don't really believe what they say at all. And, well, it may be true. And, yes, we do need to be doing those things. But if you're doing those to avoid sound doctrine and to avoid letting your heart engage with Christ and with others, you've played multiple choice and picked something that's, Valid, but not the main show. We spent some time the last couple of days with some, some unbelievers. It was, it was an interesting and actually exciting time of conversation. And, and, and the older gentleman was saying, my dad was the best man that I ever knew. And by the way, write that down. If you will ever want to be encouraged, have one of your kids say about, that's the best mom I ever knew or the best dad I've ever known. <laughs> that's pretty heady stuff. But he said he wasn't in, interested in all the stuff about the church and all the stuff, but he was, he was a good man. He, he didn't get caught up in all that doctrinal stuff at church. He didn't worry about that stuff. He, he didn't care about all that kind of touchy-feel stuff. He just wanted to make sure that everybody got taken care of, and he treated people right, and he was a man of his word, and he was a person of integrity, and all the things you're going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never heard once that he knew Jesus. He had all the... I's dotted and all the T's crossed, but sounded to me like at the end of the discussion he had misspelled the word. He didn't get it right. And there is a self-righteous idea existing in many in the body of Christ that all I have to do is, is do, 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 be busy, 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 busy. I'm coming to church, I'm working in the kitchen, I'm doing that, I'm working on the yard, taking care of this, I'm doing this service project, that service project, going on this mission trip, building that, building the other. And that's my faith. I don't worry about doctrinal stuff or emotional things. This is what I do. And Paul's saying, this is not like choosing a major in God's curriculum. It's all three. It's a three-legged stool. Don't try to sit on a two-legged stool. You're going to fall. 
you've got to pay attention, pay close attention to the things that matter. And so this disciple's heart leads him to be redemptively focused. It begins to help him understand that, yeah, the, the fields are white under harvest. And yeah, there's a lot of work to be done in witness because my heart embraces the thing that matters to Christ. I want to be a mature witness. I want to be a master builder. I want to be like Pastor Steve who understands chapter 2, verse 2, where he's taking the things that have been entrusted to him and he's entrusting them to reliable ones who will be faithful and trusting it to other reliable ones. So he's equipping generation after generation by pouring himself into you, making sure that he is focused on sound doctrine, that he's focused on you experiencing your faith and focused on helping you understand how to apply it in practical realities. This is the, this is the role of pastors. It's, it's juggling things that matter immensely. It's a daring heart that's willing to take a stand when it doesn't really appear from a visual say, how is this going to work out? He says, I don't always know. But I see the Bible saying that I'm to walk by faith, not by sight. So who's willing to go with me? I love Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor in Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, uh, knew a friend of his. And he said, somebody asked one of his deacons one time, how do you deal with this pastoral authority thing and pastoral leadership? And Dr. Rogers is such an a strong personality, and he's always taking the church in directions where it's just going to be faith and not by sight. How do, you, how do you do that? And he said, we'd follow our pastor and assault on hell with a water pistol. I said, okay, Steve, may you have a congregation full of folks who will do that, and may you get a really good water pistol. Uh, and, and how do we do these things in such a way that we're weary of the status quo, we're watching for the Spirit's leadership, and we're ready to make this thing happen for the glory of God and for the good of the sheep brought into this place. So, wrapping it up, what, what do we know? You as a church, and you, Steve, as a pastor, have been faithful in doing some things. Let's see what God says as we think through. you got to be faithful to the Word. Yeah. That's what's going to happen week in and week out from this pulpit and other places in this place. You're going to be taken into the Scriptures, not just so that you can be smarter sinners, no, but that you can conform to the image of Christ. You're going to be devoted to prayer, so that the life of every person in this church emulates the pastor's prayer life. Oh, brother, I'm glad they never asked me. How much do you pray? Well, I want to pray like you pray. Man, that's a, that's, a, that's a daunting thought. But we want to be committed to the word, to prayer, to integrity, where your character and your habits reflect the character of Christ, and to relationships that are bridge builders to show people how you love Jesus. Hebrews 13, 17 says something very interesting. It says, obey your leaders, which in Baptist circles is a little hard to take because we think congregationally, that's who we are. But he says, obey your leaders. Because, why? Because they're the ones who are charged by God with giving an account for your souls. Let them do this with joy. May Pastor Steve be able to to shepherd this flock and lead this flock and do it with joy as one who gives an account for your souls and see the relationships that he has with you be the kind of relationships that will allow him to flourish in his ministry for many years to come. Give him the time to be a man of the word. Give him time to be a man of prayer. Give him that kind of, of relational option to live out his life of faith in his family and with his neighbors and with the folks in this community to do it with grace and understanding and, and give him some room to fail there. We have at Providence for the last 37 years, one of our core values is an environment of grace. 
People will endeavor to do great things if they don't feel like they're going to be chopped off at the knees if they fail. Give him room to fail. Give him room to develop relationships. Give him room to expand the scope of his ministry. And then here's one last thing. Make it really easy for him to love you. Now, that's not essential, but man, it sure is helpful. Because God loved us when we were absolutely his enemies. Unconditional love is the way it's supposed to work. But, but how much more wonderful it is when you, the people of God, make yourselves more lovable than unlovable. And let this pastor have the privilege of being able to serve a flock that is in it together with the unity of the gospel paying close attention to the things that really matter and not getting distracted by all these other things if you could just have that one focal point of priority. And so that's our exhortation. Be faithful in the word to exalt Jesus and to lift him high so that all will be drawn into him. And uh, today it's uncomfortable for Steve. I was sat in this position a few months ago on my last night at Providence and they had this big to-do saying goodbye and and uh, one of the pastors said, says, Horner, the thing I like about this best is that you don't have access to the mic. You can't do anything about all the nice stuff we're going to say about you or otherwise. And today you just kind of have to sit there and take it, brother. They love you and they want you to keep doing this. And so praise God for that. And I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for Steve's next five, next 10, next 15 years for that. And we're going to put you in that uncomfortable spot of having you guys come up here and kind of kneel down and have some of your leaders come up and just kind of lay hands on you gently and lovingly. So let's pray together. Father, we bow before you humbled by the privilege of ministry. When Paul is able to say with confidence, I, I, I consider myself most blessed that you have considered me faithful in putting me in this role. Lord, that's Steve's heart. That's the heart of this church. They're thankful, Father, for you putting him in this place. So, Father, may we as a people together not get distracted, not be swayed from lesser things, but may we lift up Jesus and hold him high. And may we be enabled to do so, equipped to do so by the faithful ministry of the word by the, the sweetness of loving relationships, by the experiences of life together where our, our prayers are, are enlivened by tears that are weeping with joy before you. And may the Spirit work in us in such a way that obedience is the natural flow of the infusion of our lives with eternal truths. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're so blessed to be here. May we see Jesus exalted so that everyone here this morning knows that the whole reason for this place as the body of Christ, the church, is to make the glory of Christ known in all the earth, to call people to repentance and to know him, and to engage in a lifetime of growing to maturity in him. So, Lord, we commit ourselves toward those purposes for Christ's sake. Amen. <laughs>